Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast, a show where I speak to architects who have found success in their business, marketing, and communications, as well as consultants and experts who will share their unique tips and strategies to help you attract your ideal clients. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, marketing consultant for architects, and if you'd benefit from professional advice and guidance on your marketing, you can head to vanityprojects.com to check out my coaching services and book in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss your situation. This episode was sponsored by ArchiPro. ArchiPro showcases the best and latest in the architecture and building industry and helps to connect homeowners with trusted trade professionals and products that will suit their needs. For architects and designers, ArchiPro helps you to create a profile for your practice in a way that best expresses your brand and your work, and then it directly connects you with a niche audience of people on their architectural build or renovation journey. Many architects rely on word-of-mouth referrals or search engine traffic to find new clients, but it can be difficult to attract the people you really want to design for and work with. That's why ArchiPro helps clients to match their specific architectural taste and budget with the right architect or designer for their project. You can also use the platform throughout the design and build journey with your clients by directly sharing inspiration and sourcing products for your projects as well. So if you'd like to find out more about ArchiPro, visit www.archipro.com.au. Joining me on the podcast today is Graham Charbonneau, a founding director of Studio Graham, a nine-person architecture practice based in Adelaide, South Australia. Studio Graham are best known for their nationally recognised hospitality work, almost half of which is located outside of South Australia. In this episode, Graham and I spoke about the pros and cons of hospitality from a marketing communication standpoint, how the studio goes about picking projects that will be highly visible and help build the studio's brand, the importance of investing heavily in photography and branding, even in the early days of the practice, what hospitality clients are looking for when searching for an architect, and Studiogram's approach to awards and building relationships with the design media and how it's helped them to become so visible as a practice. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Graham Charbonneau from Studiogram. Graham, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And I appreciate that this is going to be our sort of second attempt because due to some tech issues, we kind of lost our first half hour, but we'll make it work. We'll make it happen. So Studio Graham, another brief background on the studio would be so awesome, mate. Just a little bit about what you guys do, the kind of the mix of work and where you're located. Yeah, sure. So Studio Graham started in 2014. It was founded by myself and Dave Bickmore, who's my um, co-director and business partner. We've grown over the last kind of eight and a half years to be nine people in total. We're in Adelaide, in a small, small kind of suburb just outside the city called Goodwood. Project-wise, we kind of predominantly work through hospitality and residential work with a bit of commercial work as well. Yeah, awesome. And so that mix of hospitality and residential, you basically started off the practice doing sort of mostly hospitality stuff in the earlier days, right? Yeah, so we got our start. It was actually in 2013. So I was working on my own across some projects that I um, got brought into by James Brown, who's a good friend of ours. Um, he used to be director at MASH um, back in those days, has now moved on and is doing his own thing. But he brought us into a project called Motel Mexicola in Indonesia and uh, Hotel Harry in Surrey Hills. At that stage, I was working kind of in support with him. So there were projects that he already had on his books and he 
needed someone with a kind of architectural background to help uh, help him um, with some of the spatial stuff and to do drawings. Um, he comes from a kind of branding and art direction background. Yeah, and so the hospitality stuff, I mean, it's an interesting area to get into because I think I haven't really had any uh, guests on the practice where that's been such a big part of their of their portfolio and their business. So I guess looking at some of the pros and cons of hospitality or I suppose the main differences between it and other areas like residential and, and so on, I think one of the main areas to start is kind of how quickly the project's go and start to finish um, compared to residential, for example, and then the benefits of that from a marketing standpoint. So how fast do these projects happen from first meeting to when you're seeing photos to put up on the website and up on social media and stuff like that? Yeah, so it's probably changed, I guess, over the years. But certainly um, when we started out, that was a, a huge benefit for our practice. So our, our our projects were kind of turning around uh, anywhere from from kind of ten to ten to twenty weeks, and we could have multiple ones running at the same time. So yeah, I guess the the classic hospitality brief is that someone's just signed a lease on a new space, and they've got a twelve week rent free period, and they want to be open before they're paying rent. In the early days, we we probably um, hit that brief a couple of times with a lot of pain, probably on our end and the client's end, just kind of working working around the clock to, to make that happen. But it was a, a huge kind of key to the early success of our practice because over the first kind of two years of practice, we had completed kind of eight to 10 projects. They're public spaces. So they're spaces that people could actually visit and go into and experience. They were um, photographed and on our website, they were on our Instagram accounts. And I guess peers of ours that had started around the same time were running residential Based practices, they kind of take 18 to 24 months for a residential project to, to be completed um, from the, your first meeting. So in that first space of two years, we were highly visible in terms of built work. So it was, a, yeah, I guess that the speed of the projects and the public side of the project um, was really attractive to us and, uh, yeah. and got us a lot of attention early on. Yeah. And did you find that the clients, because they are public, you know, bars, restaurants, cafes, and they're, they're working so hard to promote themselves. And also obviously there's a lot of buzz around new, awesome hospitality venues that like in a way that sort of gave a really good tailwind to your marketing and your, and your visibility as well, that compared to, you know, maybe a residential project, for example, um, you don't have your client out there, you know, pitching your project to, uh, <laughs> to broadsheet and magazines and trying to get it out there into the world. Right. So it's definitely a distinctive advantage of that category, isn't it? Yeah. From a marketing point of view, it's massive. You've got, you know, you've got really keen clients who want everyone to know about their new restaurant. Um, so the sharing is kind of exemplified in comparison to a residential project. And I think, you, you know, you touch quickly on broadsheet. I think from a media point of view, it's, it's a really interesting way to get design in the hands of people that aren't necessarily seeking it out. And, you know, the, I think the classic in the residential game is, you know, probably every architect in Australia wants their residential work published in a magazine like houses, but it takes someone who's probably, you know, already interested in residential architecture to pick that up. But people that have no interest in kind of bar design or restaurant design or reading broadsheet, they're reading, you know, locally in Adelaide, things like City Mag, because they want to know, they want to know what restaurants new, they want to know where to go yeah. for dinner. And, and you get, you kind of get that, um, 
the free marketing, I guess, that comes out the back of being involved in those projects. It actually just sounds so sick doing hospitality. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, there's, there's other benefits too. You know, when your clients own bars and restaurants, it's probably yeah. not, they're not the worst clients to have. Yeah, either. like you pretty much eat for free every Friday, Saturday night, right? Like you, not, not all close, the time, but close yeah, to yeah. it. Sometimes, we, but we're, you know, we're pretty big. Um, we like to pay, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because I think one of the classic problems of being uh, an architect or an interior designer is, is people often question what, what you're charging them for. Um, you know, you're just, yeah. you're just drawing something. So yeah. I guess in, uh, so we also, you know, when we go to the restaurants and bars that we've designed, we also like to pay the bill at the end of the night. I love it. Um, no, it just sounds really interesting. So that you mentioned there are also potentially some cons as well, which is kind of an interesting thing to, to mention. Um, what, what sort of things kind of come to mind, I guess, that are not quite as amazing about the hospitality side? Well, I guess from a marketing point of view, you can't control it. So, you know, if you compare it again to residential, with residential work, you can get a brilliant photographer, a brilliant stylist. And at the end of the day, aside from the people that live in that house and the people that, you know, are, are friends and family of your client, no one can go in there and, and kind of pick it apart. So I think there's nowhere to hide um, when you do a hospitality project. Anyone, anyone that wants to, to kind of go in and and check out the venue can go in and check out the venue. So they'll find the faults very quickly, um, which is fine. You know, it's also probably good for us. I think typically with projects, the more you frequent them, um, the more you find all the little things that you may have done differently or, or that you could improve on. And it's probably um, aids in the kind of growth of, of our work and our practice as well. Yeah. I guess in terms of that control, I mean, how do you sort of deal with that when a project's finishing up, you're getting photos, you're, you obviously have an interest in choosing uh, an architectural photographer. Does the client maybe sometimes want to use a different type of photographer? Do they kind of typically sort of listen to you on that front or is there like two sets? Like what's, you know, in terms of managing that final package of images around the project, I mean, what, what's, how does that typically go down with your clients? Um, so we're pretty, yeah, I mean, they're photographers that we like to work with. We're pretty interested, I guess, in different photographers' styles and how they might suit the style of a particular project. So on that front, we're pretty firm with clients about the photographers that we use and pay for our own photographers and all the images associated with them. Some of our clients kind of piggyback onto that, but a lot of times they kind of have their own photographers as well. Some of the hospitality clients we have are bigger groups, so they like to use the same photographer across all of their brands so that they kind of have a strong brand voice. I guess the other interesting thing from a marketing point of view with hospitality work and photographers is that you often get you know, a lot of the, a lot of the kind of broadsheets and, uh, and those types of publications send out their own photographers to shoot them. And, and it's often, you know, there's opportunities to, to kind of purchase imagery that, um, that we see because they're often, um, there's often some beauty that comes out of that because they aren't briefed by us. So it's not about, you know, it's not about kind of the perfect frame that we see, um, that we want a photographer to find, but that, you know, there are often photographers that are sent to a venue to shoot them as they see them. So sometimes that different perspective, um, can lead to some beautiful imagery. So kind of filtered through our Instagram and our website, you'll often find, um, different photography credits to the same project because we yeah. we'll kind of go back and purchase stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting on that idea of control and those issues around that. I mean, the architectural media are absolutely 
you know, fanatical about exclusivity in so many cases and making mm-hmm. sure that the project stays under wraps until they're able to get it out in print. There's always this question that comes up with hospitality or commercial work. It's, you know, when the client is racing for that big opening and they want to get the images out there as quickly as possible, but you're in a position where you also want to publish them through that architecture media, like how do you resolve that? Yeah, it's tough. Um, But typically a lot of our clients don't use the same images that we use. And that's typically how we tend to get around. We kind of get around it in that way. A lot of publications would still prefer that there's nothing out there in relation to them. But I think they also, you know, there's, there's some level of understanding that that's not, you know, I think with any hospitality project, it's hard enough for us to often get clients to kind of withhold putting up half finished photos. So asking them not to put them up once the project's finished is near impossible. Um, so yeah, so we kind of, I guess, put our energy in terms of uh, putting embargoes on clients just in, in trying to control them from putting progress shots up um, and, and trying to get them to understand the marketing benefits for them and for us of kind of having a, a proper reveal and not just kind of the slow drip feed of an empty site to a completed site. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just interested in your thoughts on spending properly on, you know, photography and branding and that sort of stuff. Is that something that you guys were doing kind of trying to do to the best you can, best of your abilities from day one, or is it something that as the practice has grown, you've kind of had more capacity to do that or what's, what's your kind of philosophy on, you know, photography and branding and that sort of stuff? Yeah. Right at the top, I guess it's, it's the most important thing that we do in our eyes um we we've from day one so we shoot every project that we complete and i guess that goes back to i guess the philosophies behind um the projects that we do take on so we we won't take on projects that we don't see um are aligned to our brand aligned to our kind of design philosophy and, and in effect that we don't see a kind of brand building outcome from the project i think it's really important to the studio as well um everyone likes working on the projects that get put on, put on their desk. They're, you know, we don't have the good projects and the bad projects. And from a marketing point of view, um, you know, our marketing budget is probably close to 100% photography. Um, and yeah. it yeah. always has been and probably always will be. We, I think, like to surround ourselves with people that are good at what they do. Um, we don't try to wear different hats. You know, we're architects and interior designers, and that's kind of where it starts and stops. We employ the people that we see as being the kind of best best in the branding world when we need brand work done whether it's for us or for our clients we employ the best photographers we can and and they're kind of project specific so sometimes depending you know the mood of the project or the way that we want that project to be be seen i guess from the outside will drive the selection of photographer but yeah it's kind of it's probably number one on our list of importance um in terms of marketing yeah. When you're talking about your marketing budget being like 100% photography, as a this is going to be a really marketing nerd question, but as a rough percentage of revenue, how much do you spend on marketing? Oh, oh good question. <laughs> I actually don't know. I wouldn't even have a guess to be honest, but it's probably more than it should be. Yeah, um, good. Uh, no, well, I think yeah. that's just about the right amount. More than it should be is about the right amount, I think. Yeah, well, you know, it's never done us a disservice. Um, so that's, yeah. yeah, it's probably more than it should be if our accountant reviews it. Um, but in, <laughs> in our eyes, it's not, it's not more than it should be. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose, you know, in terms of you've, you've always got this kind of work kind of coming out, what would be the basic sort of steps that you would take with a new project, right? Like put it on the website, 
put on Instagram. Is there anything else that would be typical uh, sort of a, a, um, an action or a task that would take place around a new project? Yeah, so typically we, um, I think Instagram's probably the first kind of protocol for us. Yeah. Followed by the website. I mean, our website's been a work in progress. It's kind of just gone live, I think, about a month ago. So it's been been offline for close to two years, I think, with the little slideshow and holding page. Um, so um, hopefully we'll, we'll be, um, I guess now that we've got a studio manager on board as well, we'll try to keep that more up to date. We were notoriously bad for doing a kind of once annual upload yep. of, of every project we've done in the last year. Um, All at once. Yeah, Just, so we're yep. trying to get a bit better at that. One of the things that we probably do like to do, we put probably, yeah, not necessarily a lot of weight on awards, but we do put a lot of effort into awards submissions. And I guess the visibility we get out of that, um, it's probably less about winning them, but more about kind of being involved. And one of the ways that we do that is we often will often kind of withhold projects until some of those key awards programs have come and gone. Um, I think there's always there's always something a little bit more exciting about a fresh set of images rather than, you know, ones that you may have seen on all the design blogs and websites. Yeah, and Instagram. Right. Gotcha. So that's part of the part of the probably control process behind the marketing. But there are some kind of press releases that we do. There are some key editors who we have relationships with that we'll reach out to um, and, and kind of say, you know, we've got this, we've got this coming online soon. Um, often that conversation might start with probably not at the concept level, but once it's on site and we might have a few iPhone snaps, there's some kind of pretty casual emails that go out to key contacts and say, Hey, we got this, that's, that's, you know, going to be complete, um, you know, in a couple of months, are you interested? Yeah. And then we can kind of build, build up some kind of maybe some hype around it and some interest. And then once we have imagery, we can shoot it out and see if that's, anyone wants to run it. That's really, that's really interesting. Cause I don't hear about, um, you know, reaching out to editors or key contacts like during the project, it's usually, Hey, here are the finished photos. Like, what do you think? So that's the, probably the first time someone's really brought that up on the podcast. But, uh, so that's an interesting strategy. But would that be the case on a really slow burn residential project as well? Or is it just like hospitality? Yeah, we, we, we probably would do it, happily do it with any project. It's probably more about putting some feelers out there, letting people yeah. know that you've got, that you might have something, you know, coming yeah. as well. Part of it's probably just about maintaining regular contact. So depending on our kind of, timeline on on projects of kind of every typology yeah. there you know invariably there end up being times where you've got you know months and months where something's not being completed so sometimes it's good just as a bit of a pulse check to to reach out to you know to some editors you talk to and say hey we've got you know this many projects on site we think you might be interested in this one that's really so really interesting yeah i'm surprised mm -hmm. no one else has really brought that up before because it is about keeping that relationship warm and keeping them aware of what you're kind of working on, what you're doing is is so important. And also, if we're talking about magazines, the lead times around them planning what's actually going to go in the magazine yeah. can be such a long time that if the first point of contact is once you've finished the thing, it's pretty common to be told, you know, you'll be in an issue in five or six months away. If you're reaching out earlier on in the process, maybe that would create a situation where the editor could say, well, you know, they're still four or five months away, but that would then only be a couple of months after your project is finished. Is there ever a time where you're getting ahead on that cycle a little bit? Or do you still find that you're usually, you'd usually be waiting quite a while after the project's finished with the with the final photos 
yeah, it kind of gets you that fast pass in a way so that when your project's actually photographed, you might, you might be kind of delivering that imagery and, and getting yeah. in that kind of next print run instead of, instead of, you know, agreeing to an embargo that you might have to agree to. And then that embargo actually goes for kind of, you know, six or eight months because the first six months is just waiting for the magazine yeah. to come out. And then you've got to wait the kind yeah. of six weeks or eight weeks post post release to be able to share any of the yeah. imagery. So yeah, I think that kind of maintaining relationships within that space and, and just, you know, that virtual knock on the door to say, Hey, we're still here. This is what we're working on is yeah. important for us. Yeah. And you touched on awards as being kind of something important and interesting. And you mentioned um, it's just good to be involved. What I think you, you brought up earlier. Um, involved in what way and when, how's that a good thing? How does that, how does that benefit you guys? Um, well, I mean, certainly I think, you know, in the hospitality space, there's probably no secret that that's where a lot of clients are looking, you know, the eat, drink, design yeah. awards. We've, we've kind of, I think there's, there's only one, I think it was the year that I judged them was the only year that we didn't submit any projects. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's a key place where those clients are looking. Like I think if you're going to open a restaurant or a bar in Australia and you haven't, you haven't kind of peaked at, um, last year's winners or the shortlist or even just the entries you're it's almost uh you know you're almost shooting yourself in the foot because there's some yeah. brilliant practices in there that you may have otherwise not have heard of and then i think secondary to that it's just a it's a good way to stay connected with our peers as well you know like some of those interstate awards programs um regardless of the outcome on the night we we kind of appreciate going to them to kind of have those face-to-face -face interactions with other designers um you know that we admire and appreciate that live interstate that we don't get to see that often and also part of that kind of uh that checking in with different editors and and kind of magazines and publishers you know that they're, they're all at those events as well so it's just kind of a good way to to kind of stay in touch with people um mm. and of course you know i think Anytime you get some kind of recognition at those programs, it's always nice to see that people kind of, you know, recognize your projects. Um, and it's also, I think it's it's really great for our clients as well. Um, and I think that's something that people, you know, don't always think of. But, you know, I, I think all of our clients, whether it's a kind of residential project or a hospitality project, when they're when their project is awarded, I think it means a lot to them. It's it's yeah. something that they've poured a significant amount of kind of time and energy and money into and all other kinds of resources. So so when that gets recognized, you know, locally or nationally, it's it's such a big moment for them. So it's kind of always um, always really nice to share that with clients. Yeah. What about international? Is that something that's ever is that a big focus for you guys at all? Like in terms of you know, entering stuff into competitions around the world or, you know, chasing up the um, the kind of the cool magazines in Europe or the Middle East? I mean, is it something that's like on the on the radar at all? Um, yeah, so we've had a few, um, you know, we did Mexicola, I think that we spoke about earlier. Yeah. It was one of our first projects. Um, we've we've kind of dabbled a little bit. It's not something we've kind of pushed into. We, we do have a, a really exciting project on our books that was a pre-COVID project that there's a bit of chatter around right now whether or not it's going to come back, which is back in Indonesia. So it's a, a um, 160-key hotel on a greenfield site, and we're doing wow. the kind of our full full scope of architecture and interiors on that job. So that one's a kind of really, really exciting project for our studio. And, you know, we, I think we famously had our last zoom presentation on that pretty much the day that the, the kind of world shut down essentially. And 
rightfully so the client kind of said, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to build a hotel when no one can travel. <laughs> um, so he's, you know, kind of waiting for, I think for things to just, uh, normalize a little bit more and whether that's just a bit more longevity in that kind of market and, and understanding that we're not going to revert back to a, to a kind of, uh, a world where travel is non-existent. So, um, you know, fingers crossed that shoots for us. We, we do get inquiries. We're talking to a branding agency in Mexico at the moment about a project there that they want to bring us into. And uh, we're talking about a gelati, a gelati bar in Singapore um, last week to, for a client that's actually got a few sites around Asia. So he's got some stuff in Ho Chi Minh and Kyoto. Um, so we're, there's a potential there. So, yeah, I mean, there's opportunities, um, yeah. not something that we kind of actively pursue. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. You you spoke earlier or you talked about the the start of the practice, getting introduced to a couple of projects through through James Brown, who I, I believe you said ran a branding agency or something like that. And now you're talking mm-hmm. about sort of Singapore, again, another br- branding agency connection. And it seems like the branding agencies are an interesting kind of initial beachhead for you into a new market where it's like okay that's who we are kind of we meet and they are on the ground working on sort of projects with different people and you're not initially putting feelers out directly to clients like doesn't sound like that's your approach but more it's about building those more sort of mutually beneficial relationships those referral relationships you're not just always about reaching the next potential client you're also sort of working with other people those intermediate people as well yeah, I think that's that's perfectly fair. I don't know that it was ever kind of by design. We never, you know, actively sat down and said, "Hey, we should kind of build these relationships yeah. with branding agencies." But it, it naturally has happened. I mean, the latest inquiry we got out of Dubai was actually through the branding agency that we just used to to do a kind of brand refresh, I guess, with Studiogram um, yeah. and our new website, so SPGD out of Melbourne, and that they happen to be doing some branding for someone in Dubai that asked them, you know, if they had any recommendations for designers and they put our name forward for that. So, so there is that kind of relationship. And I think particularly with hospitality, um, and I think it tends to happen locally as well, but it certainly happens a lot overseas where I think a lot of hospitality clients first point of contact is, is a kind of branding agency. And I think that's because they often, you know, they've often got a concept and a brand direction even before they might have a space. So they, they sometimes kind of dive into brand creation before there's a kind of um, spatial response. So sometimes that brand kind of graphic design or branding agency comes before we do. Um, and then there's often, yeah. a, you know, a question of who do you recommend? And it's, I think, it's the same way that we approach it, that if we start working on the interiors, we, we, we need the project to be kind of really closely aligned from a branding point of view. So we're often quite um, intentional with who we put forward as branding agencies kind of based on their previous work and how we think it might suit the kind of look and feel of the space that we're working on. Um, so I think it kind of works in both ways. If you like what you're hearing so far, please make sure to share this episode with colleagues you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review on the Apple Podcast or Spotify app? Every review makes it easier for people to find the show and hear what my amazing guests have to say. I also love hearing your questions and I'm planning more listener Q&A episodes. So please send your questions in to questions at vanityprojects.com and I'll answer them on the show. 
interested in your thoughts on what hospitality owners want to maybe hear from architects or see from architects or what sort of criteria that maybe aren't obvious to us in their choice of an architect? Yeah, I think one of the one of the keys that we push is is that a kind of sound understanding of the functional requirements of the hospitality space. So I think it's all well and good to design a really beautiful hospitality space, but I think any any owner would tell you pretty quickly that if if it's flawed functionally, then it's kind of a, a giant failure for them. Um, so we kind of have been refining that skill set over years, but I. Um, I guess also come from that background. So I worked in bars and restaurants for um, for quite a while before, even before going to university and then through university um, was something that I did. So there was already a, a kind of general understanding, I guess, of how those spaces work. Um, but over time and working with kind of different restaurateurs, so, you know, the keys to, to I, can, I think for us in creating a successful space is really about the functional requirements of them. So we tend to work from the kind of most functional spaces out. So we, we tend to want to lock in bar and kitchen designs kind of before we even look at a seating plan. So it's really about like, okay, you know, how is this going to work? How is the bar going to work? How are they going to serve people? Where should it be located? How much space do we need between, you know, the front front edge of the bar and the back edge of the bar? Do we have overhead shelving? Can you reach it? All those kinds of things so that when the space becomes a reality, it's kind of functionally efficient, which ultimately, you know, hospitality is not, um, it's not a high margin game in terms of operating a hospitality venue. So those kind of, those like minute details that you can build into the functionality and the efficiency of their operations can make a huge difference to the kind of outcome of the project. So we are very kind of um, pedantic about um, about table spacing and you know sizes of everything, um, and they vary from project to project and clients' expectations as well. And you know every bar manager wants the ice well in a different location, so it's it's really this kind of um, there's a a huge kind of amount of exploration early on um, with each client. And then once you get that repeat work with the clients, there's a mutual understanding of how they like to operate. So you can kind of nail those functional things pretty quickly up front and then, and then kind of backfill it with the, with the other stuff that we do. And in terms of how you communicate that, I guess, philosophy, it's kind of tricky to put out there, right? Because it's a non-visual thing. Mm -hmm. Is that saying that you find that you're mainly introducing those ideas into the mix during those initial meetings? Do you guys do like a bit of a run through with potential clients in terms of when you give them your sort of elevator pitch? Yes, it's definitely part of that first meeting. Um, So any kind of initial pitch meeting, we kind of speak them through process and and really about how that kind of the functional aspects are at the forefront of what we do. And then and then the secondary aspect of that is the narrative. So we kind of tend to describe our work as being narrative rich. So it's about mm. these spaces that kind of evoke a feeling or a memory. And they're, they're almost, you know, we drive all of our projects. So whether it's a hospitality project, a residential one, a commercial one, the first page of our, our presentation decks is kind of a typically ends up in the order of about 200 word synopsis or narrative and and that's the same one that finds its way onto our website at the end of the project um so uh and they become kind of a very succinct brief in terms of what we're what we're going to deliver um so it's this mix of like this is this is kind of the heart of the project and then this is the kind of hard lines that are going to kind of drive the outcomes that you need in terms of functionality that is, in a sense, the elevator pitch, I guess. It's it's just about wow. how we approach 
the project from kind of these two aspects that are that are different, but the way that we see them is they're kind of intrinsically linked and you can't have one without the other. Uh, you know, you can get, if you go hard one way or the other, we don't see this project as being successful. It's really about kind of pushing the two on, yeah. on kind of equal levels. Yeah. And that sort of 200 word narrative, I mean, um, that's really, that's a really beautiful idea that it's there at the beginning of that sort of first presentation. Then it's also sort of ending up on the website and ending up as part of the marketing collateral as well. It's not just, Mm. um, you know, so many firms, I think they, they come in afterwards, obviously to write their copy. They've never written anything about the project prior to that point, apart from, you know, emails. But I think there's something really interesting in the idea that you guys are sort of crystallizing those ideas at the beginning of the project using writing. So what would a kind of like a narrative look like for a project, like a 200 word narrative? Like what is, what does that kind of really mean? I guess we could just go look at your website copy, but you know, what, what are the key, what's the key like hook in that narrative or that story that you're kind of, you tend to, dive into first yeah well yeah they're they're kind of vary from project to project but it really is about we we kind of sit down and you know the same way that we sit down and sketch through initial ideas we kind of sit down and and just have discussions with with that project team sometimes the clients are involved sometimes they aren't but it's about it's kind of like well what what's the project about you know like what what are we really doing with this project of course yeah. You know, we, we just spoke about functionality. So, yeah, we want it to be highly functional. We want it to be beautiful. We want to, you know, build in as many kind of quirky details as we can and, and kind of elements for people to find. But what's it really about? What do you want your friends to to tell you about the project after they've left? You know, like if, if I put myself in your shoes and you're going to go there and have dinner, what are you going to tell someone about it when you walk out? Um, you know, if someone says, oh, how was dinner at RK or Aji or, or whatever? You know, what, what are you going to say to them about it? And that's kind of where we put ourselves. And that's kind of what starts to drive the narratives and the ideas behind it. And then that really becomes, in a sense, they become brief. So I think, you know, now that I've kind of told you that, if you kind of read some of that stuff on our website, I think you can then look at the imagery and make that link. If you, if you kind of consider those narratives, not as post justification, but as kind of upfront briefs. And, and it kind of goes a long way, I think, to presenting our work because it's, it's literally on the first page. So it's kind of like we sit down, we go through it. We usually don't read it because we, you know, we find it a bit weird re- reading something we've written verbatim. So it's kind of a, it's almost like a moment of pause where yeah. the clients offered the opportunity to read it. Um, you know, not allowed. Um, they can read it, and and then we move on and we kind of go through a series of mood imagery and some kind of really early planning. And it almost presents itself because it's it's this way of interpretation. And I think that's what we find really important about our work is that anyone, particularly our hospitality work, because it's experienced by so many people, everyone's going to interpret it in a different way, but it's, it's been, I guess, controlled in, in some sense through, through this kind of really early idea of, of what that interpretation is, you know, like, is it, is it about escapism? Is it about, you know, like, like Audrey, as an example, Audrey was kind of really driven about this idea of a piazza, but it's not outside, but it's about, you know, the, the kind of Italian piazza and what that means to people. This kind of, it's a, you know, it's a gathering place and in, in kind of Italian cities. And, and it's, it's a, it's kind of where everyone comes together. It's also where they get, you know, whether it's a, a fresh loaf of bread or some fresh pasta from a shop. So there was this idea of kind of recreating that. So that drove the material selection. It drove that kind of, 
these kind of inward facing arches that we backfilled with booths that drove the the signage that kind of separates the kitchen from the dining room and a window into the you know the meat cutter that's in the cool room and all those kinds of ideas were driven from that idea that it's kind of like the communal gathering place it's, it's not a restaurant per se yeah i like it when the communication aspect of the project is just so tied into what's going on in the design side as well it reminds me of when i had john elway on the on the podcast he was another guest who brought up the idea of actually writing at the start of the process or, or early on i think probably the only other person that's brought up that idea that you're not sort of making it all up from scratch at the very end and hoping it's the right story but it's kind mm-hmm. of something that's grown and developed as the project has changed as well which is actually feels like a really beautiful way for even something as simple as the project description and brief for that to sort of develop over time alongside the project is a really nice thing but um i guess like one thing you brought up was these larger projects right so there's a sort of a trajectory of the projects that the practice works on over time that they get slightly bigger, slightly bigger budgets, and it's this gradual sort of organic increase. But then you get these big steps where it sounds like you're introducing, you know, potentially a 150-room hotel, right? Like there's that sort mm-hmm. of that sort of brief or that that change can be so sudden and so dramatic. And I sort of wonder about, you know, as, as the practice as Studio Graham looks forward towards maybe these larger projects, hotel projects and those sorts of things, how are you guys planning to kind of navigate that change as a brand, as a business? And how do you kind of make that jump? Yeah, well, I guess the hotel thing is something we've been dabbling in for a long time. So the first, that first project we did in Surrey Hills was actually a heritage listed pub that had 22 i think hotel rooms above it so part of that project was actually a refurb of those hotel rooms so we kind of see it um as a a pretty natural progression you know like we Mm -hmm. we tend to talk about if we talk really broadly about our work we say that we we do lifestyle projects so you know whether that's residential it's hospitality we kind of like look at kind of projects that people want to be in um so projects that kind of affect you know, hopefully have a positive impact on the, on your day-to-day life. Um, so I think hotel work is a natural evolution of that. Um, but it's something that I think, you know, as, as our kind of same way that our practice has kind of grown gradually, I think the steps for us have been pretty gradual. I think this, the next step, as you kind of alluded to, is a pretty big jump. But I think that tends to be the way that they go. You know, there aren't a lot of people, particularly when you look at, what we're looking at in terms of doing the architecture and the interiors. Um, Mm. We have done some kind of interiors only packages on hotels as well. So we're, we're doing a a project up at Monardo um, in South Australia called wild Africa hotel, where we're doing the full interior scope of it. I think it's a 76 room hotel. Um, So we, we kind of have, have grown from doing interiors only packages on hotels at various scales into now incorporating architecture and interiors is another i guess smaller scale project where we're doing the architecture and interiors that i um it's a confidential still at the moment but what i can say about it is it's a you know it's kind of a it's a rural project that's more about kind of small pieces of accommodation scattered throughout a kind of acreage and then a bigger hospitality building that kind of sits at the heart of it that drives the kind of process so it's going to be like a restaurant event space Um, so although a lot of them are kind of happening at the same time, I guess they have progressively kind of grown in scale and we're certainly getting a lot more inquiry, I guess, at the moment in these bigger scale projects, but 
we have, I think in terms of scale, we've turned down more than we've accepted in the, in the kind of big scale stuff, because we're, we're very cautious, I guess, at the moment about moving into that scale of work. I think, you know, it's going to take the right client for us, I think, to deliver what we want to deliver in that space. And yeah, hotels are are hard in terms of maintaining that kind of rigor um, that yeah. we want to maintain in our work. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you've got a handful of these significant projects, but they're sort of in the pipeline and they're going through that sort of longer term development as they, as they mm-hmm. come out. From a marketing standpoint, does that lead you guys more towards, you know, visualizing projects earlier in the process? I see renders on your Instagram, some excellent, really, really cool looking renders kind of coming up for some of the different um, sort of larger projects that you've been working on. I'm guessing that wasn't something that you would have necessarily done earlier on in the practices history because it would have only been a matter of time until you had sort of finished photos around. But now that that yep. timeline is getting a bit more stretched, are you sort of um, investing in in that or is that the client investing in that? Do you, are you guys out there paying for like really good sets of renders uh, for projects in progress? Or what's your sort of um, approach on that? Um, it's, it's kind of a mix of the two. So we do some in-house stuff um the in-house stuff probably wouldn't find its way onto our instagram Um, it's it's yeah okay it's not (laughs) it's not like super slick presentation type stuff necessarily no no certainly well yeah Yeah. certainly not in our eyes um but yeah i think on the bigger projects where we are getting that visualization done it's it's kind of a mix of uh marketing material that the client wants and then sometimes we'll you know, we might pay for a couple of extra ones if there are certain angles that we want to kind of, um, we kind of want to work on. So sometimes we're happy to kind of put money into that for marketing, but it also, um, you know, can help that kind of design process as well. So sometimes we will work up a couple of additional angles at our cost to kind of pull some marketing material out of it, um, but also to, to kind of maybe use it as an opportunity to review some things we're not 100% sure of at that stage of the project. Awesome, Graham. Well, mate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I mean, you've also done almost a whole other podcast that's been <laughs> lost to history. So thank you for doing two podcasts with me today. Are there any like final, in terms of marketing, communication, business, any like final thoughts or things that we've maybe missed that are sort of interesting to you or, or something that ever kind of comes up in, in your day or day to, or Dave's you know process as well that, that is sort of relevant to this audience? I think it's just that visibility that's super important to us. Like I think we touched on it earlier, but just we we kind of really think about the outcome of a project before we start it in terms of, of whether or not we want to take that project on. You know, it's super, super important to us that a project's going to have a kind of marketable outcome and a brand building outcome. And it's going to be real too. You know, like we we could tend to tell people that we're in the business of of kind of building architecture, not designing it. Mm. And that's, that's really important to us. So, you know, kind of built work and, and kind of the visibility of that work is, is kind of priority number one. And um, if, if we don't see that from the first meeting, then we'll kind of politely decline to be involved in the project. Awesome. That's a really good, uh, really good lesson there. So, Graham, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That was my conversation with Graham Chabonneau from Studio Graham. If you'd like to learn more about Studio Graham, you can visit studio-graham.com.au or follow them on Instagram at studio underscore Graham. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.
Oh, 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 oh,